certain choices and beliefs that I hold as an individual Christ follower, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a teacher, and as a pastor and a preacher. So many things that I go back to, to when I'm praying, when I'm, th this permeates all of it. And it's my joy and it's my honor to share that with you. I don't know that in sharing this with you, you will feel the same way. It might go one in, in one ear and out the other. I really have been praying that it does not. Um, but I'm leaving that part up to the Holy Spirit. Today I'm here to just share with you what I believe is a very timely and important uh, sermon. As they all are, in my opinion. I think that we come together and this is a, a time where we kind of connect with the Lord uh, in a community that we don't do throughout the rest of the week. So this is very important. We believe at the church that the spoken word of God is of the utmost importance. We dedicate ourselves to the hearing of the word of God. And so we believe that the scriptures uh, hold everything that we need to know Jesus Christ, to be redeemed and forgiven and, and to communicate with him. And something as a, as a Christian, we sort of take for granted and let it just sort of uh, become a part of us in a good way, but we kind of become flippant with it. And that's the idea that we communicate with the God of all creation. We communicate with the God who made us. We communicate with the God who holds our very life in his hands. And that fear of the Lord should uh, just fill everything that we do. It's both a, a great joy, but yes, I must handle this with uh, fear and trembling, as Paul says, in regards to our salvation. Now, we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel, and that's where I found myself uh, just, I'll say on a whim, but I believe it was the Holy Spirit guiding me there, because I was actually reading the book of Numbers, and then going back to the book of Matthew, and ended up in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel comes uh, right as the book of Judges ends. And the time of the Judges is a very dark time. Outside of the kings that would incorporate uh, idol worship later on in the, you know, first Kings and second Kings and first Chronicles and second Chronicles. And even in Solomon's lifetime, and aside from the time where the, the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonian King, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and then under the Persians and, and that time period, this is a very dark time because the book of Judges says that in this time, everybody kind of did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Everyone had their own truth. Everyone had their own thing that was right for them. And if it conflicted what was right with what was right for you, well, too bad. Somebody's got to step aside. But nevertheless, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The problem with that is you don't need God for that equation. Because if I want something and I think it's right in my own eyes, then I pursue it. The Bible is pretty clear and God was very clear with the Israelites that this was not how things were going to happen. And so what you have in 1 Samuel is this introduction of, or I shouldn't say introduction, but maybe the next step in God's plan in redemptive history. From this moment, you can draw a straight line to Jesus Christ and his second coming. You see it in, in, in the grand scheme of things, how this one moment turns the tide from the way things were to the way things will be. And you could do the same with maybe the birth of Moses and him being found and, you know, going up or, or Noah and the, and, the, and the flood. Certainly you can do the same thing in different events throughout the Old Testament specifically. But here 
is to me more than just the turning of a page from one chapter to another, from one book to another, but it's the turning of, of the wheels that God has all of these things working to create and to have uh, happen to reveal his son Jesus Christ to us that we, we might be redeemed from our fallen estate. Also, just as a side note, this is a, this is icing on the cake. This is how we get everything we want from God. This is how we know that we will get from God exactly what we want. And I know that sounds very prosperity and it's probably already got your red flags going and it should because if any preacher or pastor tells you that, they're usually not worth anything. But I will explain to you what I mean by that. It's a simple play on words and you guys are too clever for it. So I'm not going to really be really heavy on that. But we'll talk about it in just a moment. First Samuel chapter one, we are introduced to a couple of people. Uh, the main character here is a woman named Hannah. And Hannah is a woman who wants to be a mom, but she's barren, which means she can't have kids. We don't know if she had tried and just couldn't get pregnant. We don't know if she had tried and maybe had miscarriages, which is very devastating, very hard. All we know is that she is barren and she has a husband named Elkanah. And he's a real gem of a man. When he is finding her in her distress, uh, she, he says to her, aren't I as good as 10 sons? Which is always a great thing to say to any person, uh, let alone your wife who is struggling with uh, the ability to not conceive or being barren. And then there's Panina. Now this was a polygamous relationship, meaning there was a husband with two wives. And before you get crazy about the Old Testament and polygamy, and this is not a prescription on how to do things. This is a description of how to do things. If you watch the news at night and you hear about a murder being reported in Syracuse, you don't go, oh, okay, that's allowed now. No, you go, oh dear, something bad happened. We shouldn't be doing that. That shouldn't be happening. It's a description rather than a prescription. And what we have here is Elkanah, Panina, and Hannah. Most likely Panina is there because Hannah can't have kids. She's somewhat of a surrogate. And as life would have it, guess what? Panina, she's as opposite of being barren as can be. She's always pregnant. She's always having kids. Good for her. Good for Elkanah. Just turns the screws. Just puts the dagger in a little bit deeper into Hannah's heart every time. And on top of that, Panina knows that Hannah wants to have a baby and can't. And she uses that against her. This is a messed up, to use a very heavy theological term, a messed up situation. And if there was anybody who ever argued polygamy as a good thing, I would point to accounts like this, that while it's here, it's not turning out too good so far. So as was the custom for the Israelites and for this family, they were making their uh, yearly trek to the temple. And for years, Hannah had gone to the temple and she would make her prayers known to the Lord. And she would pray and ask for a son. Something changes here today. There's something different that happens. Hannah, Hannah prays. And it says that she's deep in mourning she's she's praying these these prayers that are being uttered through not through gritted teeth like in anger but almost as though she can't get the words out and in fact she's praying quietly her mouth is moving but there's no sound coming out 
Maybe she's at that stage, and I don't know if you've ever cried like this. I certainly have. Where you cry, but no words come out, no sound comes out. Oh, we've done the shrieks, and we've done the... But then there's times where there's nothing inside of your lungs. There's no thing left to come out. And, and maybe that's what she's doing. Or maybe there's a loud commotion because a lot of people are visiting in the temple at this time. So instead of her trying to be loud and boisterous and fight with their volume, she's just, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to mouth the words that I am praying, trusting and knowing that the Lord hears me when nobody else does. Eli is the high priest at the time, and he is also a very charming man. He thinks she's drunk. So it would be the equivalent, or somewhat of the equivalent, if you came up here to the altar and began to pray, and I was like, dude, it's 1030 and you're drunk? That's basically what he says to her. And so she gets a little defensive, not in a bad way, but enough to say, well, no, 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 I'm not drunk. I know what time it is. I'm, I'm just broken. I am, I am hurting and in pain. And that's where we find this moment in the scriptures. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, but, Anna, but Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to, your, made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. That's the little polygamous family. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That means they had sexual relations. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she uh, called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Let us pray together. Lord, your word is good. And this story, this very vulnerable moment in Hannah's life is on display for all of us to see. And I pray, Lord, that in that vulnerability, in that exposure of hurts and pains and triumphs, Lord, that we would see your son Jesus through them. May you receive the glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you caught that line. I hope, for me, this, is, this hit me in the face like a ton of bricks. She was praying out of her anxieties and vexation. Now, I don't mean to come up here and give you some type of linguistic uh, aerobics where you, or gymnastics where you have to like twist and contort and, and if you hold everything just right, then you see some miraculous scheme to get God to do things for you. But what I want you to see is that Hannah prayed from started with, drew from the well of anxiety and vexation. Satan has convinced us that anxiety and vexation, whatever that word is, that it is bad and that we should not dwell there at all. But for Hannah, this is what powered her prayer. We've been convinced that anxiety and pain and suffering and mourning is a place of emptiness. But from God's vantage point, from his perspective, it is a place of fullness. And you might say, yeah, full of pain. No, no, full of prayer, full of power. She is not before the Lord saying, Lord, I have nothing. Oh, well, she is using that. She is from that place 
pouring herself out, she says, to the Lord. And we have believed for too long that anxiety is a place of weakness only. Now, it can be a place of weakness, and the Lord tells us to cast our anxieties upon him. Again, this is drawing from the well of anxiety rather than just trying to avoid the anxiety or pretending it's not there or just saying I'm bad or wrong because I feel anxious. Anxiety is a real thing. Anxiousness for something is a real thing. And like only God can do, he can turn it from something bad into something good. But we have believed the lie of Satan for too long. And we've allowed him to rob us of a power that he has given us. Hannah does not come to the Lord in great strength. Maybe previously she did. Maybe this is why this is the moment where God is going to hear her prayer and remember her and have her have her son. Because we know prior to this, she's been doing this. She's been praying, but there's something different. And what is she doing? She is praying out of her anxiety. There is no, in, now my study of the Greek New Testament is like, if I could call myself a novice, that would be kind of bragging. I, I'm not even there. And Old Testament Hebrew is even worse. But if you go to the Old Testament Hebrew words being used here, they simply mean praying from the place of anxiety, praying from a place of pain, praying from a place of lack or, or desperation. She's pouring out herself. This was the fuel rather than an emptiness or a hopelessness. And she, in her prayer, talks to God in a way that is very exclusive. I think Hannah has um, she's one of the most underappreciated heroes of all the Old Testament. She prays to God as the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. And maybe you've heard Lord of hosts. Maybe you've heard the Chris Tomlin song with the Lord of angels armies. Uh, the Lord of armies. This is the first time in scripture where he's introduced in that way or prayed to in that way. It is this exaltation of the Lord through submission Meaning God doesn't get any higher because you can't make God higher than he is. It is we ourselves getting lower. It is saying, ah, you are not just the all-powerful. You are the all-powerful one, more powerful than all of the powers that I know. Powers that I can't see. Powers that I don't even know exist yet. I know from the scriptures there are angels and beasts before the throne and multitude of saints and what does that even look like? You read the book of Revelation and it's crazy. And it's just big and grand and loud. And the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is the Lord that we serve. Now I want to, I want to take Hannah and rather than just see her as sort of this exclusive sort of like, okay, we have a principle, we have a thing to follow, pray out of my anxiety, I get it. But now let's fast forward uh, some time and go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is, again, another verse, scripture, that undergirds everything that I teach or preach or believe. And that's why these two stories kind of go hand in hand. They're going to teach us and preach to us the same thing. Um, 
Only in this instance, we're going to see Jesus doing the same thing, only so much more. Matthew chapter 26, as I turn there, because I didn't copy and paste in my notes. Just as a side note, I can't believe pastors and preachers did this without computers just 50 years ago. It says, Then Jesus went to them. This is verse 36 of chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? So Jesus was praying for an hour. That's not all he said, obviously. Or maybe it is, he just said it for an hour. I don't know. I believe Jesus said more than that, but this is what we're given. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Three different times Jesus went and prayed, possibly for an hour at a time, the same basic prayer. Lord, if I don't have to do this, let this cup pass from me. But if I must, if, it is your, this, if this is your will, I want to do it. Not my will be done, but your will be done. See, I kind of gave that offhanded, dumb joke at the beginning about how we can pray in a way that God will give us whatever we want. The key here is, is here in what Jesus prayed and what Hannah prayed. It's submission unto the Lord, trusting that no matter what he gives to us, it is what we need. We don't get what we want because we ask for a specific thing. We have asked for the will of God. And when we receive that, we are filled with joy because we know, we trust that he is the everlasting loving father who gives good gifts unto his children, who knows how to give good gifts. Jesus said to his listeners, you guys are evil and you know how to give good gifts. You, you dads, you're, you, you're the worst, he says. You're, um, he actually says you're evil, which I think saying you're the worst is a little bit of an upgrade. You're evil, but when your son asks for bread, you don't give him a stone. When they ask for a fish, you don't give him a snake, which... Some kids like snakes. It means something poisonous, something that would hurt them. He says, no, your kid asks for a gift, you give him the thing. You ask for bread, you give him bread. He asks for milk, you give him milk. Because even evil dads can do that. And how much more our Father in heaven gives to us that which we need. And specifically, the Gospels will tell us that that is the Holy Spirit. Church, we need a lot of things. I know we need more money, we need more time, we need more patience. We need more health. We need more strength. We need more friends. We need less friends. I don't know. We just, we need, I know that. But the Bible tells us that the good gift that God is going to give us, more often than not, first and foremost, is going to be the Spirit of God to sustain us during these times of drought and wilderness. 
There will be times of abundance, but there will be times of leanness as well. And I think that's one of the things we learned from Joseph in the Old Testament with the, the seven years of, of much and the seven years of lack or leanness. That there's going to be a time where there's an abundance. There's a lot. And there's going to be a time where there's almost nothing. And we're going to be like that previous seven years went a lot faster than these seven. But the same principle is found in both stories or in both accounts. Both, even Jesus himself, come into submission to God the Father, his will for their lives. And in that is found true liberty. Jesus goes into the garden, troubled unto death. One of the accounts says that he sweat great drops of blood. But gets up and says, okay, now it is time to go. Now it's time to do what I'm supposed to do. You get Jesus ready to face the cross on our behalf. Now, the Bible says, going back to the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts, it's literally like the, the Yahweh of hosts, the I am that I am of the armies of heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is Paul to Timothy. And as you read this verse, maybe it's just my own overactive imagination, but as I'm reading it, I'm picturing Paul and he's writing and he's writing faster and like the words can't come out quick enough as he's writing. I don't know how New Testament writers wrote. I don't know if he's dictating to somebody. What I know is that it's just, it's getting more and more and more until he finally says amen to his own comment, to his own sermon to his own preaching he is saying amen at the end because it is true let it be so paul reminds timothy that jesus is more than just a man or a teacher or a prophet that he is the lord of lords the one that directs the powers that we see the king of kings the leader of leaders the power of power when you understand that jesus is for you and not against you. This Jesus, Lord of armies, Lord of hosts, Lord of lords and King of kings is on your side. I dare you to live from that perspective that God is not for your dumb decisions. That is not this, but that God is for you. That should we make dumb decisions? Should we fall into a pit? Should we get caught in a thicket? God is just and loving and kind enough to come and pull us from them. But the true liberty, the real liberty, the real freedom that our soul yearns for is not found in a thing or an event or a need being fulfilled. It is found in submission unto God. If God is not big enough for you, get smaller. Because God's as big as he's ever going to be. And he's way bigger than any of us ever. And if we think too highly of ourselves, we will think too low of God. Now, 
How does that change pain? Well, I see here with Hannah, Hannah's prayer is answered. But Hannah's prayer went beyond a son. Yes, she wanted a son, but clearly from the scripture, she wanted God's will to be done. I believe, and this is speculation, hold it with an open hand. I believe that had she not been blessed with a son, that she would have been okay. Because she got up happy. It says in ver- right at the end of that, that verse, Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Nothing's happened. She got accused of being drunk in the temple. That was about the highlight of her day. Then the guy's like, oh yeah, obviously you're not drunk. Go in peace. May the Lord give you your petition. There's no confirmation that yes, the Lord has told me you're going to have a, you know, nine months from now, you're going to have a child. The, the Lord has not shown her anything. So I believe based on her reaction to the time of prayer that she had, that something changed within her and that came through submission to the Lord. And so maybe instead of fighting against his will for our life, the life that we think we should have or that Christians should have or what we should get, instead of kicking against those goads, we should say, Lord, your will be done and watch him do what he is doing throughout it. And instead of thinking that being anxious for things is a place of weakness, it can be if it is prolonged and we live there and identify there. That is where anxiety becomes uh, dangerous and can kill a Christian's walk. But when you are in that place, rather than seeing it as a weakness, we must see it as the Lord prescribes it to us. It is an opportunity to pray out of there unto the Lord to seek him in whatever he is doing. Scary times happen. Economies crash. Health takes a turn. Stuff breaks down. People pass away. It happens. And we want to, from the anxieties those things cause, pray unto the Lord, your will be done. She was praying from a place of immense hurt and mourning. This was not a woman who just wanted something. This was not a woman who just was jealous. And maybe she was after the first few kids. But at some point, I think a callousness took over or a numbness took over. Because that's our coping mechanism when someone is needling us like Panina was to her. But everything broke in this moment and from that place she prayed out to the Lord. And I want you to know that if you are filled with anxiety for whatever reason, I mean, gosh, go on Facebook today and pick five things to be anxious about. It won't be hard. Turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm praying to you out of my anxiety right now. But remember what Jesus said. Nevertheless, your will be done not my own. I, I struggle sometimes, and this is my own, my own thing, and you guys can think I'm wrong in this if you want, but sometimes folks ask me to pray for people who are suffering and hurting, and I mean older people, people who, who know Jesus, and this hasn't happened in a long time, but know Jesus, and the moment they close their eyes to death, they're gonna wake up to see Christ. And because of their own hurt and pain and their sense of loss, They will ask me to pray for them that that person will keep living. 
And I'm not here to judge people who would want that prayer. I understand it in one sense. But as somebody who may not be as emotionally attached as a son or a daughter, I step back and go, but this person right now is on the edge of meeting Jesus Christ. And I feel like my prayer for them is not exactly the will of God. It might be, he might ra- they might rally, come, you know, have 10, 20, 15, 35 more years of great, awesome life. That's not for me to say. But in my head, when I'm praying, and I I'm generally will only pray, Lord, may your will be done for this person's life. I won't ask for anything specific more than that. Internally, I'm praying, Lord, for the person who's asking me to pray, I'm asking that you would change their heart. That instead of seeing the loss, they would see the joy that would be found in meeting you face to face, seeing you as you are to be seen. Now, when that person's unsaved, that's a whole other scenario. But in that situation, I pray for the Lord's will to be done. And I think that when we pray out of our own flesh, that is the desire to not lose, the desire to not hurt, the desire to not feel pain or be uncomfortable, I think we pray selfish prayers. And we ask that we would not go without so that somebody else might have to. And I think that we as Christians can't do that. I don't think it brings good testimony to Christ. I don't think it leads to us living a profitable life. And so the, the, great, the great equalizer, the, the palate cleanser of all of this is going to the Lord with everything that we might want to pray. Even Jesus asked that that cup would be passed from him. That is him saying, Lord, if I don't have to go to the cross, is there another way? But nevertheless, he makes his petition known unto God and then goes and does the thing that God has made him to do or, or sent him to do. So, honestly, a lot of things swirling around right now, meaning a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas, a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine, a lot of, shh, I want to bring it all back down right here to the middle. Without being too cliche, the Lord knows your days. He knows the moments and the times of everything that you will go through. He knows times where you will feel distant from him. He knows times where you will feel closer to him than you ever have. He knows where you will be joyous and where you will be mourning. He knows where you will feel loss and where you will feel gain. He knows all things about you and desires a relationship with you individually. Loves you, yes, us collectively, but you individually. God loves you. The evidence of this is found in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice. That God so loved the world, John 3, 16 says, that he gave his only begotten son. That he sent his son not to condemn us, but to liberate us and to free us from sin, Satan, and death. And so today, rather than living in a place of emptiness, where Satan has tricked us into thinking that, you know, we're nothing, we have little, that God's distant. Instead, from that place, pray out to God. God, bring change, but nevertheless, may your will be done. And watch the spiritual steel in your back strengthen to, you, to where you start to become like the Christian that you idolize in your head. You all have them. You all have her, that person that you're like, if I could just pray more like that person, if I could just be more like that person. And what you don't know is behind closed doors, they're a mess. They shine up their shoes and put on their suit, but behind closed doors, they're probably a mess. 
That being said, you will stand up straighter. Not because you measure up to somebody else, but because Christ has made you stronger. Do not allow the enemy to take your moment of time, your place of power. Use that anxiety against him and against the powers of your flesh and against the powers and the principalities that we find in this world that we are at war against. Do not, do not let that go. And watch the Lord be honored in your life. Church, pandemic or not, I'm hoping to see this church full. And we have a contingency plan. We'll break up and have multiple services so that everybody can be socially distant and feel safe. But nevertheless, to see people know Christ, to see people share the gospel and watch that other person go, oh man, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and Jesus is my savior. And then confessing that and, and giving their life to Christ and watching the landscape of our culture completely change. We don't want to see abortion happen anymore. We think, let's make it against the law. No, no, no. Make it so that people would abhor it. Make it so that people would never even consider that. Teach our children that children are amazing and good and a blessing. We don't want to see people do or sell drugs or take advantage of the other person or take advantage of our community. Then let's show them the joy that we find in Christ. Let's live as though Christ is our savior and watch everything change. We can't regulate and make people do anything, but we can live our life and we can show them through the testimony of our actions and our words that Christ Jesus is amazing and the answer to everything we've been looking for. So, hallelujah, amen. The Lord is good and loves you. Let's pray together. Let me pray for you. As your pastor, it is my honor to shepherd you. It is my joy. And I want you to know how much I love you but it pales in comparison to what the Lord has done for you. And if you feel backslidden or you feel like you just aren't there or you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, today's that moment. And maybe you don't even know what that is like. It's not that complicated. Romans chapter, uh, see, I'm the pastor and I should know this. I think it's five? <laughs> maybe seven? I don't know. It's, it's in there. It's in the, just, re, just do this. Go home and read the whole book of Romans and you'll find it, okay? And then you can tell me next week where you found it. I'll give you a prize if you do. Um, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Christ Jesus is our Lord, that we will be saved. That nobody, nobody who calls on the name of the Lord will be put to shame. Again, another verse that undergirds everything I believe. Sometimes I run from the sense of shame. If they don't, if I share the gospel and they, don't li they won't like me anymore. And Paul tells us through the Holy Spirit, those who call on the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. And so then I trust that. Go, okay, I will, I will share. I don't know what I'm going to say, but here we go. Romans 10, verse 9. Burn. No prize in it. Well, my wife gets a prize. Well, you have to read the whole thing. $1,000 worth of hugs, which is like half a hug. Let's stand and let's pray together. <laughs> well, then they're chumps. <laughs> let's pray together. The Lord is good. Amen? Let's start from a... Watch our lives change. If we start from the place that God loves us, that God is for us and not against us, that sin is bad, 
and that he seeks for us to not do it. But if we do, First John says, we have an advocate before the Lord who intercedes for us as the propitiation or the substitution for our sin. Lord God, we praise you and we thank you. Lord God, again, I'm, I am, uh, I feel bad that we read about Hannah's life and we get to sit back as spectators and she lived it. She was, this is her life open before us. We get insight into feelings and emotions that we, I don't want to take too lightly, Lord. But we see her, Lord, in the temple, maybe where she should be, with a, a priest slash pastor who should be pastoring her or shepherding her. And that's not really working out. The temple is full at this time of people who are doing things they shouldn't. The priest is kind of asleep at the wheel. So she's just there before you, Lord. And we see her pour herself out before you. Not afraid, not, not uh, apprehensive about sharing everything. Broken to the point where she can't even say the words, she simply mouths them. But Lord, you heard every word, every syllable that she uttered. And she came to you and submitted to you completely. And Lord God, that's all we desire to do, that we would submit to you, that we go, this is crazy, but I know that in this moment, this is the only thing that will sustain me. It'll sustain me for the next five minutes, five years until the day I pass and go to be with you. Lord God, may you show yourself true and faithful to your people. May they walk in your blessing, not just good stuff, but may they see, Lord, the opportunity to turn anxiety on its head and use it for your good or for our good, which your word promises us again in the book of Romans. So I pray, Lord, for your people. May they see you more clearly this week. May this week be a, a week of revelation for them to see you through your word, to see you and experience throughout their week, to share the gospel, to bring life to death, and to watch people be born again. May you receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.